Revelation chapter 9 uh, this morning. If you would, turn your Bibles with me there. Revelation chapter 9. Anybody read ahead? This is a rugged chapter right here. I was, uh, as we were singing that last song, I was just like, Lord, thank you for rescuing me. Thank you for saving me. As we read this chapter, as we get towards the end, I personally, I was involved in the, some of the stuff that we're going to read about, and uh, man, on that broad path to destruction, and Jesus saved me and rescued me. I am so grateful. I'm eternally, eternally grateful, and uh, just, I know you guys are too. Our, we can rejoice that our names are written in heaven this morning. So I debated on whether... I went back and forth with the Lord whether or not to read the chapter first. Uh, I'm actually, I'm going to do a little intro, then I'm going to read the chapter, then we'll pray. How's that sound? Is that cool? So remember where we are in our study in the book of Revelation. If you're joining us for the first time, Jesus gives us a divine outline for the entire book. Does anybody remember where that's at? Chapter 1, verse... All right, you guys are dialed in, sweet. (laughs) Revelation chapter 1, verse 19, Jesus gives us an outline to help us understand this book. I believe God intends for us to understand the book of Revelation. It means to reveal, it means to uncover. We get to know Jesus even deeper, more wonderfully. We get to know our Lord and Savior. And hasn't that happened as we've studied through this book? I know what's happened for me, and it's been just awesome to see him in a, in a fresh way, in a new way. His glory, his majesty, his beauty, his holiness, all that he is. And, and that is to be our boast, by the way. God says, let not the rich man boast in his riches. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let, let not the strong man boast in his strength. But he who boasts, boast in that he knows and understands me, says the Lord. So we're coming to know the Lord in a deeper way, a more beautiful way. And so we are in the third part of that divine outline. Jesus said to John, as he was on the Isle of Patmos, to write down the things which will take place after this. After what? After the church age. We saw in chapter 2 and 3, the churches, the seven report cards to them. And so that takes us from chapter 4 all the way to the end of the book. That is yet future. We saw in chapter 4 and chapter 5, we saw a, a glimpse of heaven, didn't we? We get an awesome taste of heaven, and we see the church is in heaven before chapter 6 through 19. Chapter 6 through 19 is the period known as the tribulation, which will last seven years, years, right? And so during during those chapters, 6 through 19, we don't see the church on earth. Why? Because we're in heaven in chapter 4 and 5. How did we get there? The rapture of the church, right? We'll be snatched up, we'll be taken away before God pours out his wrath upon a Christ-rejecting world. Then in chapter 19, Jesus comes back with the church to set up his kingdom for how long? A thousand years, also known as the millennial reign of Christ. Millennium, 1,000. He's going to rule and reign for 1,000 years, which gives way to chapter 21 and chapter 22, which uh, he makes the new heaven and the new earth and we live happily ever at you guys got it right we're dialed but right now we are looking at this portion uh in chapter nine this morning uh during the tribulation i personally believe it's in in more like the first half of the tribulation period um remember we've seen uh seven seals opened by jesus on that scroll 
which introduced judgment, one seal after another on the scroll as he opened. Judgment came upon planet Earth. When the seventh seal was opened, it introduced seven what? Seven trumpets, thank you. We will see later the seventh trumpet introduces seven bowls of judgment. And so right now we're looking at the trumpet judgments. And so last week we saw four of those judgments. They brought uh, ecological uh, painful things that happened to this planet. Physical earth was touched and affected. Now we see judgments that will directly affect men. And listen, this morning I am not into sensationalizing or speculating. I believe uh, God says what he means and he means what he says. And John is doing the best he can to describe what he's seeing. I personally believe what we're seeing in chapter 9 is two demonic invasions. I'm going to read. And so, again, you'll be saying this morning, thank you, Lord, for rescuing me from the wrath to come. Look what it says to me. God's word, chapter 9, verse 1. John writes, Then the fifth angel sounded. He blows his trumpet. And I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke locusts came upon the earth, and to them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. In those days, men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die and death will flee from them. The shape of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were crowns of something like gold and their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like women's hair and their teeth were like lion's teeth and they had breastplates like breastplates of iron and the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. They had tails like scorpions and there there were stings in their tails. Their power was to hurt men five months and they had as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon But in Greek, he has the name Apollyon. One woe is past. Behold, still two more woes are coming after these things. Then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared, notice this, For the hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. Now, the number of the army of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them. And thus I saw the horses in the vision. Those who sat on them had breastplates of fiery red, hyacinth blue, and sulfur yellow. And the heads of the horses were like the heads of lions. And out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and brimstone. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which came out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails. 
For their tails are like serpents, having heads, and with them they do harm. Take note of these last two verses. But the rest of mankind, who were not killed by these plagues, did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see, nor hear, nor walk, and they did not repent of their murders, or their sorceries, or their sexual immorality, or their thefts. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, please help us this morning. Help us to correctly divide your word, to correctly apply it. Thank you that our lives are in your hands, our times are in your hands. That we can rest this morning in you. As we abide in you, Lord, we pray that you would just work in us and through us as only you can. That, Lord, you would transform our lives by the power of your spirit. Change us, mold us, shape us into the men and women that you desire us to be. For you are the potter, we are the clay. So have your way, Lord, this morning. May we grow in grace and the knowledge of you. And it's in your precious and your holy name, Lord Jesus, that we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So here we go with the trumpet judgments. Number five, the fifth angel blows his trumpet. And what does John see? He sees a star, and notice this with me, a star that had fallen from heaven to earth. And to him, to, to this star, this star is a him, it's a person, was given the key to the bottomless pit. So the question is, who in the world is this who receives the key to the bottomless pit to unleash this demonic attack. I personally believe, this is my own opinion, I believe this is Satan or Lucifer or the devil. It says here, this star has fallen, not falling. And the Bible teaches us that there's a number of falls for Satan, isn't there? If you're taking notes, and and let me encourage you this morning, please dig deep with me. I always encourage you guys, dig deep into the Word of God so you know what God's Word says. And not only that, that you know the God of the Word. It says in Isaiah 14, if you're taking notes, I'm going to flip there. You can flip there or listen with me. This is the description of one of Satan's falls or Lucifer's falls, the devil's falls. Isaiah 14, verse 12. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, check this out, here's the cause of his fall. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation, on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol to the lowest depths of the pit. So we read there one of Satan's falls because of why? What was the cause of his fall? Pride. Pride. Thank you. Pride. The Bible says pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a, before a fall. Flip forward to Ezekiel 28. Ezekiel chapter 28. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Verse 11, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre and 
say to him, Thus says the Lord God. Here's the real one behind this king. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within, and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you out as a profane thing out of the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. And then in John chapter, no, not John, Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 10. You guys remember this. Remember when the 70 that were sent out on a short-term mission trip came back to Jesus and they were all stoked? And they said, uh, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. They're all excited. And Jesus said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. So Jesus authenticates the fall of Satan from heaven. We know uh, as we read this here, again, it was pride that led to his fall. Being so consumed, pride is being so consumed with ourselves, you guys. And there's a lesson in that, isn't there? Pride is also seeing myself as above others. And the pinnacle, listen, the pinnacle of pride is saying, I don't need to do what God says. I can do it my own way. Saying, I don't need to obey God's word. You're saying you know better than God. And so pride causes us to be deceived. Again, there is a danger when we center our lives around ourselves and not around God. Instead of making him number one. And by the way, as you read those verses, as you go back, I encourage you, check it out. Satan is not God's co-equal. Satan is a created being. God is creator. He alone is holy. Everything else is created. He is the creator. Everything else is created. Because sometimes people make it seem like they're in a fight, like a UFC, MMA fight, and all of a sudden Satan's got God in a, in a headlock, and now it's God's got him, and there's this tug of war going on. Listen, that, the Bible doesn't teach that at all. At all. And Satan, listen, some people give Satan too much credit. Are you with me? They say, it's the devil's maybe do this, the devil made me do that, the devil's hiding behind the tree ready to get me. But then there's some people on the other end of the spectrum that, that believe that he's just kind of like that, what's that spam can with a little, little red guy with a pitchfork and in his undies, right? They just think, oh, he's just a, you know, he's a mythological creature. And so we, I think we err by going at both ends of the spectrum rather than having a balance of what the Bible teaches us about him. Yes, he is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He's prowling around looking to take us out. But we're told by Peter in 1 Peter 5 to resist him steadfast in the faith. Are you with me? He that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. And so there's a spiritual battle going on. Yes, you guys. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We, have a, we are in a spiritual battle. God's given us spiritual weapons, spiritual armor, and we are to fight this battle in the strength of the Lord, not in our own strength. 
We are in desperate need of him. We are in desperate need of staying as close to Jesus as possible. Amen? Amen. And so God is in control. Listen, God is in control even when all hell is breaking loose. Even like we see here. Do you believe that this morning? Either you do or you don't. God is sovereign not only over the universe, everything going on, but he's also sovereign over your life too. He's intimately involved and he loves you so much and cares for you and me so much. And if you've trust, entrusted your life to Jesus' care, he is your good shepherd. And he will lead you. We've talked about this so many times. He will lead you and guide you where you need to be in order that your life would flourish and thrive under his care. You've got the right master if you're trusting in Jesus. And so... Satan does not have the power to do whatever he wants. In fact, notice he receives a key. Look at this verse. To him was given a key. He doesn't own the key. He had to receive this key to open up what? What did he open up? The the what in the world is the bottomless pit? I'm going to reference this passage a number of times this morning, so check it out. You guys remember in Luke chapter 8, Jesus went to this place called Gadara. Him and the guys got off the ship. And remember who they came in contact with? The demoniac, right? The dude that was demon-possessed. 6,000 demons, legion was his name, fully possessed. Yet there was something left in him to what? To come to Jesus, to reach out. He was looking for help. The society couldn't help him. They strapped him down. They locked him up. Society did everything they could to, to, to fix him from the outside. The problem is it's our hearts that need to be fixed. And Jesus is the expert in the heart. Only he can fix that heart and give you a brand new heart and a new start. And so Jesus shows up. And you guys remember what happened. Remember what the demons said? They begged Jesus, don't send us into the, into the pit, the bottomless pit. That's what we're talking about here. Same word, abuso. Don't send us there. Apparently this place is so gnarly, so bad that even demons don't want to go there. It's dark. It's demonic. It's dangerous. And so they're begging Jesus, don't send us to that place. Send us where? Into the, into the piggies. Right? Well, we'll get back to that later. So look what happens. This individual, verse 2, what happens? This individual uses the key to open the pit. And what's the first thing that comes out? Smoke. So he, he opens it up. and you guys, ever, you guys ever cook in your oven? That's a dumb question, isn't it? <laughs> Every once in a while, I cook, and I can burn some stuff with the best of them. Tanya's like, get out of the kitchen, dude. Come on. But you know what I do when I'm cooking something or baking something? The first thing I do is I go, and guess what I do? Open it up and look in. And you get, the ladies know that's stupid, isn't it? Isn't that dumb? Because what happens? The heat and the smoke, they start to singe your eyebrows. and That's the picture here. This bottomless pit opens up and here comes smoke and notice what it's so if there's so much smoke that what happens the sun doesn't shine the air is blackened that is a strange strange global darkness that happens on planet earth what comes out of the smoke what comes out of the darkness look at verse three locusts come out and notice to them was given what what did they receive power. Listen, you cannot receive power apart from the Lord. God is in control of this entire situation. I think it's important to take note of that. This is not out of control. This is not chaos. God is in total control. No one has power unless God gives it to them. So they receive power and and notice they're locusts. We're going to see in a moment that they're locust-like creatures. 
Okay, we'll see that in just a moment, and we'll see why in just a moment. But lo what do locusts do? Do they, go, do they fly solo? They travel in what? Swarms, right? And it's the wind, it's usually the wind patterns that, that take them places, and then they go, what do they eat? Everything, vegetation, right? They don't pull into Whataburger. <laughs> they eat vegetation, greens. And then it says, notice also, it says in verse 3, it says, and to them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. Anyone here ever been stung by a scorpion? No? Nope. So this is not like a trick question. <laughs> Has anybody been bit by a scorpion? Is it bit or stung? Or I don't know what you, what you call that thing. Stung? Yeah, a couple. Did it feel good? No. Absolutely not. Can you imagine for five months? Five months of that pain going on. That's what's happening here at this time on planet Earth. In fact, notice in verse 4, they were commanded, they needed to receive instructions, lay off the greens, don't touch anyone with the seal of God on their foreheads. You guys remember who, who received that seal of God on their foreheads? Back in chapter 7, 144,000... Messianic Jews, right? Jews for Jesus, right? They get saved. They give their lives to the Lord and they're evangelizing, sharing. So these locust-like creatures cannot touch them, lay off the greens, but everyone else is fair game. Everyone else, again, the Lord is in control. In verse 5, we find out that these locusts bring the pain. And they're not allowed to just kill indiscriminately. They're limited by God. They have limited but potent power to torment men for five months. You know, why does Satan want to hurt those who are already on his side? You ever think about that? Here's people that are rejecting the Lord. They're on Satan's side. Because the Bible tells us either you are for the Lord or you are against him. They're shaking their fist at God, blaming him. Unwilling to repent, we read at the end of the chapter. Why does Satan want to touch them, mess with them? I can tell you why. That's all he wants to do. Because he is destructive and harmful at his very core, at his very nature. Again, think back with me now. Those demons, when they were asking Jesus, don't send us into the pit, send us into the pigs. They were sent into the pigs, and where did they go? Off the cliff, into the water, and they were killed. So just step back and think about that for a minute. And you guys know all the jokes, right? It was the first case of mass suicide and Swine Lake. Some of you will get it later. It's cool. But just think about that with me. They, all they want to do is destroy life. They're bent on destruction. That's what happened to the, the man that was possessed. His life, he looked like he was insane. And that's what darkness, what the demonic realm will do to a life. If you open yourself up to that all the evil that the devil and his dominion and his, and his demonic horde, all they want to do is wipe you out, destroy you. It doesn't matter if you're for him or against him, the Lord, or against him. He wants to destroy. And kill. Isn't, didn't Jesus say that? The thief comes to what? To steal, to kill, and to destroy, to wipe out, to rip us off. And we have to see that in the safest places to abide in Jesus. Listen, I was studying this week and someone sent me this verse and I love it. Listen to this verse. It's from Psalm 62. Let all that I am wait quietly before the Lord, for my hope is in him. He alone is my rock 
and my salvation, my fortress where I will not be shaken. My victory and honor come from God alone. He is my refuge, a rock where no enemy can reach me. Hallelujah. Psalm 62, scope that out when you get a chance. Let that one just wash over you this morning. David got it. The psalmist got it. There is no other refuge but found in Jesus Christ. And so we see here, look at the next verse with me, verse 6. In those days, what happened? The torment will be so bad, men will want to kill themselves, but they're unable to do so. Do you know, you know what that is? That's the grace of God. Pastor, come on, dude, no way, man. That sounds like the Godfather, not Father God. God won't let anyone escape death. Listen, death is not an escape. He, God won't let anyone escape. Why? Death is not an escape. If you die, if you die, it's only going to get worse for you, for them. Because why? Because if you die apart from Jesus Christ, that torment's not five months. That is forever and ever and ever. And the Lord is still reaching out to mankind with his loving arms. Come to me. Repent. The door is still open. Look at what you're involved in. I'm taking my hand off just for a second. So you see, if you're going to worship demons and idols, this is what's behind it. This is, what's, this is the darkness that's behind it. Let me show you for a minute. If I take my hand off, and so, you can, listen, you can kill the body, but you can't kill the soul. Your soul goes on forever. And if you've come here this morning and you're considering that, or you're listening and considering suicide, you can take the body, but your soul's going to go on. It'll go on forever and ever and ever. And there's a right way to, to kill yourself. It's called killing the flesh. That self-centered, self-absorbed me that's in control and say, Lord, I'm going to crucify me and I'm going to let you live in my heart. And watch what will happen if you surrender to him and you make him number one. It's glorious. Well, we get a physical description, verse 7 through 10, of these locust-like critters. Look what it says. Their shape was like war horses with crowns like gold on their heads. They look like men. They look like dudes but have long hair like chicks, right? Dude looks like a lady. <laughs> they get sorry. They got ferocious lion-like fangs, protective like this kind of covering, this body armor. Their wings sound like a stampede, curved tails with some kind of stinger on the end like scorpions. They're, again, we're told the second time they're given power to bring damage to men's lives. Again, they must receive authority. They must receive power. It's not, again, they don't, they don't have it in, in and of themselves. Judgment is measured. It's not out of control. Do we see this anywhere else in Scripture, you guys? Do we see this anywhere else in Scripture, y'all? All y'all? All y'all sit with me this morning? <laughs> Listen, this is, this is like, the first time I read this in Joel, it's in Joel chapter 2. I was like, what in the world is this? It sounds exactly like what we're reading in Revelation chapter 9. Joel looks through this literal locust invasion and sees into the future. Joel 2, I'm going to read it, and it's about the day of the Lord. Listen, every time we see that phrase, day of the Lord, in the scriptures, it always, without exception, refers to the time period known as the tribulation. And I would encourage you to study that on your own. 
The day of the Lord points to this time period we're studying right now. In Joel chapter 2, I'm going to read it. Blow the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. Why? For the day of the Lord is coming, for it is at hand. A day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, like the morning clouds spread over the mountains. A people come, check this out, a people come great and strong, the like of whom has never been, nor will there ever be any such after them, even for many successive generations. A fire devours before them, and behind them a flame burns, The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, and behind them a desolate wilderness. Surely nothing shall escape them. Their appearance, check this out, tune in, verse 4. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses, and like swift steeds so they run. With a noise like chariots over mountaintops they leap, like the noise of a flaming fire that devours the stubble, like a strong people set in battle array. Before them the people writhe in pain. All faces are drained of color. They run like mighty men. They climb the wall like men of war. Everyone marches in formation, and they do not break ranks. They do not push one another. Everyone marches in his own column. Though they lunge between the weapons, they are not cut down. They run to and fro in the city. They run on the wall. They climb into the houses. They enter at the windows like a thief. That's pretty frightening, isn't it? So Joel sees into the future describing the very thing that John sees right here. But here's the deal. In verse 11, here's where we depart from them being actual locusts, I believe. Why? Because it says they had a king over them. You know what it tells us in Proverbs 30, 27? The locusts have no king. They have no king. These locust-like critters, they have a king. They have a leader He's the angel of the bottomless pit. And his name, notice what his name is, Abaddon in Hebrew and in Greek, Apollyon. Anybody know what that name means? Destroyer. destroyer. Again, who's the destroyer? The yeah. Satan, right? The devil. Satan is. <coughs> and some, you know, I, I, sometimes I talk to people and it's like, Pastor, what are these things in chapter 9? Some people say they're drones. I've heard that. Genetically engineered critters fit for battle. I've heard demon-possessed insects or some type of advanced warfare that's not hasn't been developed yet. And you know what I tell them when they ask me what it is? I tell them I know exactly what it is. Locust-like creatures with faces like men and hair like chicks. You know what we read? It's interesting. At the end of the chapter in verse 20, it said men would not stop worshiping demons. Men are involved in demonic worship and God gives men what they want at this time. And God pulls back the veil. You want to worship the devil and demons? You love darkness rather than light? Let me show you what's up. And again, as we study our Bibles, as we look at Luke chapter 8, the the man at Gadara, I'm not going to turn there, but demons make people look insane, do crazy stuff, like they're out of control. What was noted about that man? before he got rescued. Do you guys remember? He was naked. Didn't want to wear clothes. Right? Society couldn't help him. They tried everything they could. He was obsessed with death. He, where was he living? Remember where he was living? 
in the tombs, naked in the tombs, cutting himself. He was a cutter, screaming. He couldn't be contained. You start to put those things together. What does the enemy do? Destroys life. And then who shows up? Jesus shows up. Do you guys remember when Jesus showed up in your life? Remember when it says he got set free, what it says about him? He was seated, clothed, and what? In his right mind. Listen, that's happened to every one of us that's born again that knows Jesus Christ. The Bible says we're seated in the heavenlies. Pastor, I don't feel like it. We're hot here in Houston. You're right, but guess what? He sees you already there, seated in the heavenlies, clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And aren't you in your right mind now? I was out of my mind. I'm still not all there yet, but I'm getting there, being transformed by the renewing of my mind. But I know where I came from. I know where I'm going. I know what life's about. I know who I worship and serve. And there's no one greater to worship and serve than Jesus Christ. And he promises, he promises freedom. Jesus said what? If the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Those that are involved in the demonic and in darkness, you have no idea what you're messing with. This should scare the hell out of you this morning. You have no idea what you're playing with. If you've opened your life up to that, we're going to talk more about that later as we move on. And if you have opened your life up to that, listen, Jesus is right there. He's waiting for you with open arms to turn, to bring freedom, to bring help, to bring hope into your life. Well, look what happens next. Verse 12, we see there's here uh, one woe is past. Behold, two more are coming, one down, two to go. Woes are a call to repent. Woes are, hey, things are going to get worse. It's time to get right with God. If you're here this morning and you're not right with God, you need to get right with God. Whoa, woe for what's going to happen next. If tribulation comes, if, if difficulty comes, tribulation with a small t, it's time to get right with the Lord. Verse 13, the sixth angel blows his horn. And what does John hear? He hears a voice. From where? From heaven, the golden altar, right? We've talked about this golden altar before. And the voice speaks to the sixth angel and says what? Unleash the four angels. I believe they're fallen angels or demonic spirits because they wouldn't be bound if not. Hey, unleash, cut loose these four fallen angels, evil angels. By the way, if you're taking notes, 2 Peter 2. And Jude, verses, I believe it's 6 and 7, tells us that there are wicked angels that are bound for judgment. It may be speaking of these guys here, possibly. Where are they being held? Where are they being held at? The river Euphrates. Where is that? Modern day Iraq. Thank you. It was the, listen, Genesis 15 tells us that was the border, the, the, the northeastern border of the promised land. It was, the, it was the border of the Roman Empire also. It separates really the Far East from the Middle East. And Babylon is associated where all wickedness and weirdness, it's the, that was the fountainhead where it originated from, that area. And here's these four angels. And notice it says they've been bound for this specific, precise time. And why? They have a specific mission to kill one-third of the Earth's population. That's heavy. And John hears there's an army, 200 million strong. So these fallen angels, they got an army. And what does John see? Again, he sees horses in this vision with riders. 
And they're wearing chest protectors of red, blue, and yellow. Horses' heads that look like ferocious lions. What's coming out of their mouth? Fire, smoke, and brimstone. And again, what's interesting is if you go back and listen to Bible studies, oh, you can't listen to them, but they were saying like in the 40s and 50s, that sounds just like this bomber that has a gunner in the front and one in the back. The, you know, the bombers that have the guy shooting and fire's coming out the front and fire's coming out the back. And then we get to the 60s and 70s and what were those helicopters, the Hueys or whatever they're called? And they're shooting and they've got fire coming out the back and the front and... And then each, each successive decade, things have changed. Oh, it's got to be this now. It's got to be that. You know what I think it is? I know it is. <laughs> Horses, riders with breastplates that look, like, that look like ferocious lions. Again, God holds back evil, and now he's permitting it. Here, here's what happens. Listen, here's what happens when God lets go, just for a minute. Let me let go. Let me show you what you're involved in. You really want to be engaged in that? Heavy. And the result, verse 18 and 19, a third of the earth is wiped out by these three plagues. Remember in chapter 6, a quarter of the earth was killed. Chapter 8, lots of men killed by the poisoned water. And now we see here a third. That's a little over half now, probably, of the earth killed, decimated, at least. And those that survived, look at verse 20. The survivors refused to what? To repent. You know what that tells me? Repentance is still an option. There's a choice offered here. These judgments were meant to bring about repentance in man. Repent. What does it mean to repent? To turn around. What else? To have a change of heart, a change of mind. It's to think differently. Afterwards, I change direction. Do a 180. Listen, that was the first words of Jesus' earthly ministry. Repent. Same with John the Baptist. Repent. It is such an important word. That's where our relationship begins with the Lord. We stop going our own way and turn to go His way and trust in Him. And we see here, we look at this, they refuse to turn And ask, Lord, forgive me, help me, save me, rescue me. And we're going to see they'll continue to blaspheme the name of the Lord, his holy name. I've survived. They're saying, I survived. I will not. I refuse to bow my life to a God who'd do that, man. Listen, the only reason you're alive is because God's upholding you. That's the only reason. It's by his grace that you're even alive at all. What did they not repent of? Look what it says to me. They did not repent of the works of their... That speaks of what they gave their life to. Here's what I'm giving my life to. The worship. What is worship? It it means to ascribe worth to. It means to give reverence to. It means to bow down. The, The word literally means to kiss. They're bowing down their lives to. They're kissing. They're giving their, in other words, they're giving their affection to. Their their, their lives to, to what? Two things. What does it say? To demons and to idols. Material things were so important to them, they refused to surrender to God. Do you know anybody like that? 
Their material things mean so much to them, they refuse to even acknowledge the Lord who's been gracious enough to bless them. Listen, if we don't worship the Lord, we will invent our own forms of worship. Demons and idols. And what happens when we worship those things? Self-destructive behavior, addictions, dysfunction, confusion. That's the fruit of worshiping any other God, you guys. The fruit of worshiping any other God is chaos, it's spiritual death, it's destruction. And we were, listen, we were made to worship the Lord. We were made to worship Him, you guys. And every man will worship something or someone. The problem is what it tells us in Psalm 135. If you're taking notes, you can scope it out. Psalm 115, God saw fit to tell us it twice. That you will become just like what you worship. You will become just like what you worship. Well, it's interesting to me. It says these idols of gold, silver, brass, and stone, which can neither, which can neither, what your Bible say? See, See nor, hear. nor hear, nor walk. What happens when you start to worship idols? You no longer can see correctly. You're blind. You can't hear. You're deaf. The deeper you get involved with those things, if you're involved with, with that kind of darkness, you can't, walk, you can't walk correctly. You're all over the place. You're walking on a broad path that leads to destruction. You're involved in things that are going to wipe you out. But here's the flip side. Here's the flip side. Listen, if you worship Jesus, guess who you become more like? That's the case. You become like that which you worship. You start worshiping Jesus. You give him your affection, your attention. You bow down your heart. You respect him. You have a reverent fear of him. You give him your best. You say, yes, Lord, I will give you all that I am because you're worth it. I will obey you because you're worth it. That's worship. I will walk in those things. You are worthy, Lord. We don't just sing it with our lips. You know, come in Sunday and sing some cool tunes and put on KSBJ on the way home. You're worthy, Lord. We need to say it. We need to do it with our lives, you guys. Because that's what's happening. You see the fruit, right? The fruit of their worship. By the way, someone said to me uh, a couple weeks ago, idols of gold, silver, brass, and stone. They said, that's everything in a computer. But what about the wood? That's the table it goes on. Just a little side note, just a little extra. Look at verse 21. And so man refuses to turn from what he worships and also how he behaves. Second, did not repent, did not repent of their murders. Can you imagine? Even while so many people are losing their lives, what are they doing? They're taking human life. We see that today, don't we? Even while gnarly stuff is happening, people taking life, abortion, taking life. Number two, they didn't repent of what? Sorceries. Sorceries. You know what that means? It means not only occult, the occult, witchcraft, but it also means drug use. Literally, the word means, it's pharmakia in the Greek, in which we get the word pharmacy. It speaks of drug-related enchantments, the use of drugs to alter reality. And so what's happening? I'm, tr I'm not going to uh, repent. I'll just pop a pill. I'm not going to repent. I'm just going to smoke a J. I'm not going to repent. I'm just going to have another drink, another shot. 
I'm going to kill the pain. I'm going to escape reality because that's all that it is, is an escape. How do you know that, Pastor? Because I was there. I was involved in that. And what does it do? You're involved in that, and you know what you're doing when you do that? You are opening your life up to the demonic realm. Oh, it, it includes, sorcery includes Ouija's, seances, getting your palm read, going to astrology, doing that junk. Am I stepping on some toes maybe this morning? I hope not in this place. But then you start smoking marijuana. Oh, it's okay. I'm just going to have a, a couple hits. You know what you're opening your life up to? You're le- opening your life up to darkness in the demonic realm. It's a gateway. Booze gateway. I can just have one. I'll be fine. You are opening your life up to exactly what we are reading back. If God, again, we're reading. If God pulled back the veil, again, it would scare the hell out of you. Listen, God wants us to trust him, to trust his word. That that he will satisfy you. Jesus will satisfy you. He'll take the pain away. Ultimately, our pain will be removed completely when we're in his presence. And his grace is sufficient. His strength is made perfect in our weakness. He will help you through. He will give you direction and wisdom and guidance. You don't need to go to a palm reader. You don't need to try something to kill the pain, to have you escape from reality. This is reality therapy here this morning. This is what you're opening your life up to, darkness in the demonic realm. And the Lord's saying, come to me. Stay close to me. Let let me be your strong tower. Let me protect you. Let me keep you from the enemy. While the enemy wants to rip you off, to kill you and to destroy your life, your marriage, your home, you get away from that stuff and you get as close to Jesus as possible. Notice what else they're involved in. Verse uh, The third thing, sexual immorality. They were engaged in sexual behavior, sexual, they were engaged in sex outside the marriage bed as prescribed by God in his word. What does God prescribe in his word? One genetic male, one genetic female, husband and wife for life. That's God's definition of marriage. The marriage bed is undefiled. Fornicators and adulterers, he will judge. That's what he says. And what are they engaged in? Sexual immorality. Listen, that word in Greek, pornea, in which we get the word pornography. Talk about another gateway. Gateway to darkness, the demonic realm. Think about, you ever hear like an interview with Bundy, Ted Bundy, or uh, who's the other cat? Jeffrey Dahmer. You know what they started with? Looking at porn. And then it just ramped up. Gateway to murder, to killing, to taking life. Because what does it do? When you watch pornography, it makes you dissatisfied with your spouse or with the one that God has for you. And it's a fantasy world. It's, it's not reality. And God's created you to have a relationship with that perfect person he has picked out for you. Not living in a fantasy world. Because you're opening your life up to more darkness and more of the demonic realm. Well, look at, look at this. What's the fourth thing they didn't repent of? Thefts. Does that sound familiar? You watch a disaster on the news, and what are people doing? They're looting. Right? It's like, dude, are you kidding me? Like, really? You're going to capitalize on someone else's pain and suffering? You're going to go rip them off? Give me a break. Well, the Lord sees. He knows. Right? And what are they saying? This is a great time to cash in, man. I'm a survivor. 
I've got a great investment opportunity here. <laughs> Accumulate more. And again, the only reason you're alive is because of God, because of His grace. And if you want, it's your choice. It's man's choice. You want destruction, pain, devastation, go your own way. Or you want freedom, forgiveness, to live forever, you go Jesus' way. It's really that simple. And repentance is where it begins. God woos us. He shows us. He brings us to the place where we see sin in our lives and that very thing that keeps us from him. And we acknowledge that we are sinners. God, I've broken, I've broken your heart, broken your word, broken your law. I am in need of forgiveness. And you trust in Jesus. And what does he do? He comes in. He washes you and cleanses you. He gives you a new heart. And the Bible tells us why, listen, the Bible tells us why men will not repent. You know why? If you're taking notes, Psalm, write this down, Psalm 10, 13. Because men don't believe that they will have to give an account for their actions. Second place, why men don't repent. You guys know Jesus told us. Because men love darkness rather than light. They love their sin. They love what they're engaged in. Not now. I'm, I'm busy with this. It's like, what will it take for you to surrender? It was so great. A young man got saved first service. And uh, he said, I can't believe it. Something was telling me I had to get to church today. I've been, I've been involved in everything you wrote, everything that, that you read. Uh, I wrote. As I close, I just want to read this. It's such a great reminder this morning. Aren't you stoked that the Lord saved you, brother or sister? I thought this was a great reminder, kind of just to close this out. Ezekiel 36. This is what God says. This is in verse 25 to 27. Looking forward to the new covenant, which we get to experience because of Jesus' shed blood for us on the cross. We get to partake of the new covenant. Check it out. This is awesome. God says, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Anybody like getting clean? That's the Lord says. I cleaned you. But wait, there's more. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh or a soft heart. You have a soft heart this morning or a hard heart? How's your heart this morning? Maybe, maybe you came in, maybe someone forced you to come to church today. Oh, I got drug here. Got a drug problem. I got a drug, I got a drug problem, Pastor. I got drugged to church, man. Your heart's hard. Your heart, if your heart is hard this way, guess what? Your heart's hard this way. And the Lord's saying, I want to give you a new heart, a soft, tender heart. 
But not just that, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Aren't you grateful for the work of the Holy Spirit (laughs) coming into us and enabling us to walk and do those things that are pleasing to the Lord? Apart from him, I can't do nothing. (laughs) Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. You know what that means in Greek? Nada, zilch, nothing of any spiritual or lasting value. But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Strengthen us, Lord. We need you in these last days to serve him. Amen? In Jesus' name. Lord, thank you so much for where you have us, Lord. The the weight of this passage, so necessary, so needed. And I pray, God, for anyone listening today that is considering or dabbling in these things that we've talked about. That today they would repent, have a change of mind, change of heart, change of direction. And that, Lord, as we stay close to you, that you would continue to protect us and care for us as you promised to. That you would lead us in those paths of righteousness for your name's sake. That with the time we have left, Lord, that we would serve you and worship you and bring you honor and glory. Not only with our lips, God, but with our lives. Thank you for the new heart, the new start. For the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the helper, the comforter. Lord, we desperately need your comfort, your help each day, so thank you. You didn't leave us as orphans, that we're never alone, that you're always with us. Thank you so much. Thank you for.